So in keeping with what I felt like the Lord spoke to me. So you all ready? Just say, Lord, I love your word. I appreciate your word. The entrance of your word brings light. In your light, there is more light. Thank you that your word is a sharp two-edged sword. It divides us between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Thank you that I can synchronize my spirit to your word. Thank you that your words are life. Thank you that your words are light. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, you honored your word above your own name. So we honor your word. Thank you that your word is forever settled in the heavens. And now it is being established on the earth. Thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you that your word is becoming flesh in us and dwelling amongst others. Thank you, Lord, that we are living epistles known and read of all. And thank you that this writing is on our hearts, not by ink on stone tablets or a finger on stone tablets. Thank you that it's written by the Spirit on our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Your word will be in my heart. It'll be in my mouth to confess. Thank you that you are now watching over that word to perform it. Your word is being performed in my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you all ready? So turn to the Gospel of John. Anywhere in John. And then we're going to have a look. just want to have a look at a few things. So this morning, I just want to touch on a, a couple of things concerning, well, we'll see what it is concerning. But uh, John chapter 14, so we're going to look more or less, John 14 to 16, passages that you know. The backdrop to this is um, John 1 to 12 <laughs> but in, and 13. But in John chapter 13, it came up to the Last Supper, you know the story, where Jesus took the towel and he washed the disciples' feet, basically instituted the communion, which we now remember whenever we take the cup and the bread. Let me just throw in a comment very quickly. When we were standing in the worship um, some years ago, uh, there was a couple that were coming to our church and they had been ministering to and, and were friends with um, a Satanist that had been a sort of coven leader, you know, one of the sort of high ups. When you're high up in Satanism, it just means that you have more demons than the others and more wicked. <laughs> Basically what it is, they still have to leave, you know. And, uh, but they came and they would come to the services and very often in the worship, the kind of worship like we had this morning, they would have to leave and sit outside and then they would come back inside. And it was not that they didn't want to be a part of worship. They couldn't handle the intensity because of their involvement in Satanism. They were still, you know, their minds were still being renewed and their souls were still being transformed. So they were not averse to it. It was just difficult for them. And uh, we were sitting one day and we were, we were chatting. I think we had a sort of after-church meal. And this guy said, you know, this was the kind of church that we as Satanists could not penetrate. We could not infiltrate this church. And he said, and we did try. He said, there's two reasons why we couldn't infiltrate this church. They said, number one, because the type of worship. Because we could not stand to be in that kind of presence. And so we couldn't do anything. You don't realize how powerful your worship is and what a powerful restraint it is on forces of darkness that might want to attack you. You really need to understand that when you're in worship, you're in a safe place. When I was preparing for the leadership seminar this week, and I deliberately resisted preaching some of the material because I wanted to keep it for the leadership training. But you know, there was something I discovered in the Old Testament that I didn't know. 
And that was this, that God specifically said to the Israelites three times a year, you need to come up to Jerusalem for the, the three great feasts, which he set into Israel. Now, I want you to know that three times a year, every Israelite totally vacated their homes and their land and went up to Jerusalem. Three times a year, their property, their country was totally vulnerable. Three times a year. Three times a year, they would go up and worship and fellowship with God. Three times a year. And remember in those days that around Israel were nations that were not their friends. And often what they would do is they would raid the countries. They would raid the countries. They would raid each other to steal crops and flocks and herds. So God said this. Three times a year, you to come up and worship. And on those three occasions when you come, no one will touch your land. No one will touch your homes. And never once in the history of Israel did you ever read they were attacked during those times. Never once were they infiltrated in those times. Because God said, if you do what I say and you come and worship me, I will protect you. And I'll protect what you have. Now, it was a good place to say amen. So look at somebody and say, we're doing the right thing right now, okay? We're worshiping God. And so worship is for your benefit in many ways. It's for your benefit. And we need to realize that the enemy cannot infiltrate. And the Satanist said, and the second thing, the second reason why we could not infiltrate this church is that this church's attitude to communion. They really believe it's the body and the blood of Jesus. And we couldn't infiltrate because of their attitude to the communion. So that was just for your encouragement. I thought somebody would say, woohoo, yay, hallelujah, something, you know. And uh, so response is good, amen. So listen, I wanted to just share something with you. And uh, I was reading these verses this week, and they so blessed me. Paul could make very powerful statements. So who wants some powerful statements? First Thessalonians 5.16, Paul said this. You don't even have to turn there. He says, rejoice evermore. Okay. Yay, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Rejoice evermore. Secondly, he said in 517, 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Then he said, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There's so many people praying, God, what's your will? What's your will? I can show you in four places explicitly what God's will is for you. One is that you be filled with the Spirit. Second one where it says, this is the will of God concerning you. The second one is that in every situation, just give thanks. You're not giving thanks for this stuff, but in this stuff, you're giving thanks. Amen? So let's everybody say, let's say, thank you, Lord. We give you thanks. And then he says, quench not the Spirit. Then he says, despise not prophesying. Then he says, prove all things and hold fast that which is good. In John's translation, it is, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Okay? And then he says, abstain from the appearance, all appearance of evil. Isn't that amazing? So John 14 to 16, very quickly, let's just have a look. Get your Bibles, let's turn. So in verse 1, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. So don't worry. Turn to the person next, she said, don't worry. So the background for that is, I've got to resist the... Temptation to say too much this morning. So, no. Okay, so let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So, Jesus said this in verse 2 In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, 
there you may be also. So Jesus is talking about in the Father's house. Now, he's not talking about the fact that one day when you die, you'll go to heaven and he's going to build you a house. That's not it, okay? I'm really, really, really sorry that it's not about real estate in heaven, these verses. I'm really sorry, really. But I have to be true to the word. Is that okay? You know, I lived on a shack down here, but I served Jesus all my life. Now I've got a mansion over in glory. I mustn't mock. Okay, Um, so in my father's house, another way of saying this, in my father, okay? In my father, in the context of that relationship, there is place for many. And he says, if it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So where is the place? The place that he's going to prepare for us is in the Father, okay? It's really important that we get this for where we're going. So he's preparing a place for us in the Father. And he says, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. So where was he going to go? He was going to go to the Father. What was he going to do? He was going to prepare a place for us in the Father. That when he comes again, that we would be where he is. Where would he be? In the Father. So we're all good with that. So in the Father. And he says, whither I go, you know, and the way you know. So he's saying, the place that I'm going to, you know. The route to there, you know. And the disciples are going, no. So then Thomas says, thank you, Thomas. Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? If we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? Thank you, Thomas, for asking the difficult questions that the rest of the disciples are going, duh, that's logical. Jesus said, I am the, I am the, and I am the, no man cometh unto the, but by me. So what was he doing? Answering Thomas's question. So where are you going? I'm going to the Father. How do you get there? Through me. I am the way to the Father. I am the truth about the Father. I am, and I have in me, the life of the Father. He says, if you had known me, uh, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, thank you, Philip. Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus said, have I been with you for so long, and you've not known me, Philip? Now, right there and then, Jesus was speaking as the Father, basically. And he said, Philip... He that hath seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father. Then Jesus says this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is exactly like me. He's spirit, I'm flesh. But everything I say, everything I do, is an exact representation of the Father. I represent him. So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me preach, you've heard his voice. If you've seen the miracles, you've seen him in operation. It's very important that we get this. He says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father? So Jesus is the Son. How do I know that he's the Son? Well, because he's talking about his Father. So it's implied he's the Son. So he said, don't you know that I am in the Father? And then he carries on to say, he says, believe me not that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. And then he says, in me, and it's him that doeth the work. Okay, Woo-hoo, this is good. Yay, turn to someone and say, Woo-hoo, yay. Okay, so in other words, 
I am in the Father, the Father is in me, the result of this, because in actual fact then, is we are one. When he says, I'm in him and he's in me, it's another way of saying we are in union, we're one. Good. And then he says, out of this union flows something that is called the works of God. You know, there was another passage where the Pharisees came to him and others came to him and said, what must we do to do the works of God? He said, believe in the one that he sent. Because the one that he sent is in the Father, looks like the Father, the Father's in him, and a natural result, a natural byproduct is that you then start doing the works of God. That's Jesus. Is that okay? So he started doing the works. Tell the person, he said, this is very good news for you. Okay, so I need you to listen. All right. He says, I'm in the Father, find me, ask, believe me for the very work's sake. So, verse 10, believest thou not that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So I hear what he says, I repeat what he says. I see what he does, I repeat what he does. That's in John 5, John 12, and, and other places. So believe me that I'm in the Father, verse 11, and the Father in me will ask, believe me for the very works sake, because the works as a result. Verily, verily, I say unto you. So this is now Pastor John speaking on behalf of Jesus this morning from the Word. Verily, verily, I say unto you. He that believeth, he... She that believeth on me, the works that I do, you will do also. And greater works than these shall you do, because I am going to my Father. And the reason why he was saying that was, well, I'm going to go to my Father. I'm going to prepare a place, and the Father is in me. The natural result will be that. But I want you to know, yes, you, yes, us. He says, so because of this, if you believe in me, you know, something's going to happen to you, and then you're going to do works, and you're going to do works, and you're going to do greater. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. Tell the person next to you, say, I'm doing the works of Jesus, and I'm going to even do greater works. Greater works. Ah, That's amazing. Greater works. So then he goes on, and he says, because I'm going to my Father. And listen to this. Verse 13, he says, and whatsoever. Ever. Now, I asked Andre to look that up in the Hebrew version of the Greek. I looked it up in the Greek. Andre looked it up in the Hebrew version of the Greek. And we discovered this, that whatsoever means whatsoever. It's incredible. In Greek, in Hebrew, in English, in Afrikaans, it means alas and whatever. So whatsoever. Turn to the person next to you and say, that means you can pray whatsoever. Just Whatever. He says, and whatsoever ye shall ask, listen to this, in my name, that will I do, that what? The Father may be glorified, where? In the Son. Verse 14, if ye shall ask anything, that's another way of saying whatsoever. Now, I asked Andre to look up the Hebrew version of the Greek. (laughs) About anything. And surprise, surprise, we discovered that it actually means anything. Anything you ask in my name, I will do it. Wow. So we're going to get to those verses. But basically in John chapter 17, Jesus said this, Father, thank you for the glory. 
that you glorified with me and that we shared together and all of this. And then he said, now I'm praying for these disciples. I pray that you would give them the same glory that we shared. The glory they shared was this glory of being one in union. And then he said, and I've given them the glory that they, they, we all need to look at this. Because a lot of preachers have preached that they may be one even as you and I are one. That's the wrong scripture for that. So what he was saying is that they, they may be one with you even as I am one with you. So he says, that's the glory. So he's saying, Father, I want you to include them in us that you would be in them, I would be in them, and they would be in us, which means that we are now all one. So take that out, take that out. So Father and Son and Sons Incorporated, okay? We are with the Father. So now he says something happens spontaneously. Now, just a little few days ago, we had our fourth grandson. And uh, just the other day, uh, Yaku and Bianca had their first little daughter. And so he says that we may be one even as they are one. When those babies were born, there was a little bit of encouragement, but they started on something that forever will be a reflex action. Don't even have to think about it. There are reflex actions that come out of this union, out of this oneness, out of this marriage, out of this unity that we have, us in them and them in us. That is, number one, the works of the Father. So Jesus says this, listen to this, verse 15. I'm not going to go too much further, but I want to just bring out a few points. If you love me, keep my commandments, my words, my sayings, my teachings, my doctrines. If you love me, imbibe my teachings. Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you've come to know the truth, the truth sets you free. And he basically said that uh, if you keep my word, then you really are my disciples. He says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he might abide with you forever. He said, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him not, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So actually, we need to put another block. Um, I'll just put it there for the sake of it, okay? Same size block, father, son, same and this one is the Spirit. And he said, I will give you. He said, there's another comforter. He's another of exactly the same kind. The Spirit issues from the Father to the Son, and then he's poured out into the heart of us as believers. He proceeds from the Father. That Spirit is the Holy Spirit. That Spirit is the Spirit of Sonship, Romans chapter 8. That Spirit is the Spirit of Sonship. He's in our hearts crying, Father, Father, Romans chapter 8. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So in other words, what Jesus was saying, I have operated my whole life by the Spirit. And when I go to the Father and come back, I want you to know that we're going to give you the Spirit. And the Spirit will be with you and will be within you all the time. Okay, now these are things we know. Isn't that right? And so he said, in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless because he will comfort you. 
I will come to you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans because he's the spirit of adoption. He's going to take you and he's going to put you in the Father. When Jesus came and when he left, we were not left as an afterthought. We were the forethought of his mind. We were the center and the focus of him coming. So he said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. The exact relationship that I have with the Father is the exact relationship that you have. Amen? Because of the Spirit. Yabba dabba do. That's so awesome. So he says, in a little while the world see me. And then in verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved in my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Wow. Verse 26, the comforter, the Holy Ghost. He's going to teach you. He's going to remind you of all of these things. Amen. So the first thing that I want you to know that begins to happen when we, we realize who we are in Christ, the first thing that begins to happen is a reflex thing that starts to happen. So I want to just talk a little bit about this. Is that okay? Let's talk a little bit about that. You know that the first thing that happens in our lives is that everything Jesus did, he prayed about it. A lot of the things that he did was in prayer. Even the receiving of the Holy Spirit, he prayed. He said, I will pray and ask the Father. Isn't it amazing? He said, I will pray and ask the Father, and then he will send you the Spirit. He will give you the Holy Spirit. And I don't know when he prayed. I know that he prayed when he was on earth. I don't know, maybe when he ascended, when he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, because that is in Acts chapter 3. He received the Spirit. I don't know if he went then and said, Father, will you give me the Spirit that I can pour him out on those believers? And he received. And Peter says, that what you see and hear, the speaking in tongues, is because I received, because Jesus is now both Lord and Christ, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. So somehow Jesus went and said, Father, I pray, give me the Spirit. And the Father gave him all of the Spirit. And Jesus immediately turned down and said, right, baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that baptism elevated every one of those disciples, every one of the 120, and immediately took them out of servanthood, slavery, and put them in as sons and friends, elevated. And they were able then to say, my father, my father, exactly the way, same way, Jesus. And it wasn't just a prayer. It was a relationship they entered. It, wasn't just, it was an identity. That they entered. It wasn't just an identity, it was a purpose that they entered into. Man, they entered into something so great. And I believe that's why they got drunk. Because suddenly they were out of the dry, dead wood of legalism and law, and they were into the intoxicating relationship of sons. The new wine is better. So, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Are you ready? Woo! Jesus continues. It's the same conversation. And he says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener or the husbandman. Every branch in me. Oh, remember we read that in verse 14 and earlier, 12, 13, 14. Remember we read something there that was also a natural reflex action and that it speaks of this. What did we say in verse 14? If you will ask anything in my name, I will do it. What is that called? That's called prayer. Okay. Prayer is a hallmark of sons. Prayer is a defining characteristic of sons. Prayer is something that automatically issues out of the first acknowledgement, a realization 
that we are sons of the Most High God. Yeah. Prayer will result. Prayer. Everybody got it. They're confused by going back now. Okay. Are you with me? So all of that, he said, you will do the works. In order to do those works, the thing that will start to happen and should start happening spontaneously is prayer. Growth as a son implies growth in prayer. Growth in prayer is directly related to growth in sonship. So number one, how do we know by the example of Jesus? He was always praying. He was the son of God. Holy, pure, righteous son, the only son. But he prayed about everything. Everything. He was always praying. Even now, even now, he's about to go to the cross. John 17, it records his prayers. We prayed for the disciples. He prayed down generations. Prayed right down to you and I. Everyone that could come to believe in them because of their witness, their witness, their witness, their witness, their witness. That prayer of Jesus is still cascading across generations. It's a powerful prayer. Prayer lives. Prayer lives. Prayer doesn't die. Prayer lives. Prayers your parents prayed for you still echoing through eternity. Prayers you've prayed for others still working. You may have stopped praying, but God listens to the prayer. And he says, that was from my heart. You prayed my will. And that prayer continues. Amen. Prayer doesn't die. We had a lady in this church, Auntie Joan. Auntie Joan came in, a wonderful, good little Methodist lady. You know, wouldn't say boot to a fly. She was a little gentle lady, a little short English lady, proper pommy, you know. I remember she came with a lady by the name of Diane. And first under they came, you know, good Methodists, you know. They don't know what prophecy is. They don't know what Holy Ghost, you know, all that stuff. They don't know what it is. And that morning, the Holy Spirit came with army boots on. He marched in here with all of the angels. People were all over the place. And they were sitting here somewhere here on the front row. And I just remember the power of God hitting Auntie Joan. And the next thing she knew, she was under the chair looking at somebody's bubble gum that they'd left over there. And uh, so she was under the chair. And she was crying and shaking. And I was like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, you've messed it up. You've really messed it up. You know, you need to be correct, politically correct. You know, go gentle with visitors, that kind of thing, you know. That day, he just turned up the volume. And they got plugged. I turned to Bev and I said, oh, Jesus, I I feel so sorry for those ladies. I don't think we're ever going to see them. I think the Holy Spirit's terrorized them. You know, they're frightened. And uh, next Sunday they were back. Next Sunday they were back. And they never left the church. It wasn't long after that she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she was one of the most dangerous little old ladies you could ever have met. You know, we ran the soup kitchen, people getting healed. And she had come up, Pastor John, demons are coming out. I just walked to this person. I went, oh, Jesus loves you. And they were falling on the floor, demons coming out. She said, come out in Jesus' name. You know, this little British lady. I mean, she was, she was a holy terror to the kingdom of darkness because the power of God got a hold of her. But later when she passed away and entered the cloud of witnesses, thank you, Auntie Joan, her family went through her Bible and they found on a postcard a prayer that she had written out that she prayed for me every single day. They framed it and gave it to me. It's in my office. And I look at it often and I say, thank you, Auntie Joan. Her prayers are still living on. 
Your prayers don't die. There's a power in prayer. There's a there's an efficacy in prayer. Amen. And so Jesus said this as the Son. He was always praying. He said the very first thing that's going to happen in your relationship, when you become a son of God, something automatic will start to happen, and you will start to pray. How do we know that? The example of Jesus. Second thing is prayer comes very much out of our identity as sons, out of our identity. Man, your identity has changed. You're a son, you're a daughter of the Most High God. That word son implies something very powerful. It doesn't only imply the relationship, but it implies the whole context of the relationship. Jesus said it very clearly over and over and over and over again. He said, I reveal the Father. No one knows the Father. You know the Father because you've seen me. Part of our purpose as sons is to reveal the Father. We are, you are, and I are a revelation of the Father. And when you understand sonship fully, you will understand that I represent the Father. So in other words, when people listen to me, they should be hearing the Father. When people see what I do, they should be seeing the Father in action. Sons reveal the Father. Why? Because the Father wants a relationship with those people. He wants them to become sons. So his whole purpose in sending Jesus was to bring many sons to the same glory that he had with Jesus, the same glory that we have. And in order for that to happen, we need to be speaking his words and we need to be doing his works. And in order for that to happen, something is a key, it plays a key and a vital role, and that is the prayers of sons. Why? Because then we are cooperating. So prayer is cooperation with the Father, with the Father. Because he's called us to be co-workers. Is that okay? Co-workers. It's our purpose. Our identity. Look at John 14 verse 20. 14 verse 20 says, um, oh, I like this. Out of our identity as sons. John 14 verse 20. John 14 verse 20 says, In that day you shall know that I am in my Father and ye in me and I in you. What was the day that he was talking about? The day that you received the Spirit. The day you received the Spirit and you started going, He said, that day you will know Father's in you, um, I'm in you, you together, you're in the Father, we are one. Because he doesn't give his Spirit to the world. He only gives his Spirit to believers, to sons. And he's the Spirit of sonship. Okay, so it's our cooperation with him. Prayers our cooperation with him because of our purpose. What is our purpose? To reveal the Father. How? By doing the works of the Father. Jesus said this, my Father is always working. Even today, he's working. My Father never sleeps. Why? Because he's always working. What are the role of sons? To be about our Father's business. To be doing his works. Amen? And so we need to be doing the works of our Father. So John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, my Father is the vine dresser or the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now that's the branches that are not in him. That's not believers, is that okay? He says, and every branch that beareth fruit, that's us, he purgeth it or pruneth it that it may bring forth 
more fruit. So everybody say fruit. So our purpose on earth is to what? Bring forth fruit. You. And then he says, and then you get pruned. So what? So that you can bring forth more fruit. And then later on, he talks about it's to the Father's glory that you bring much fruit. What did he say? Much fruit. So now this is talking about our growth, isn't it? He wants to move us from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. Prophesy to the person next and say, you're going to bring forth much, much, much fruit. All right. Verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word which I've spoken to you. Woo. Is that good? Look at the person and say, you're lovely and clean. You're nice and clean because of the word. The word made you clean. So now Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Now we used to sing that old song years ago. Abiding in the vine, abiding in the vine. Something about love, joy, peace. He's my I have prosperity, power, and victory. Abiding, abiding in the vine. Very true song. And, and abiding in the vine. The problem is a lot of people try and wonder, how do I abide in the vine? How do I abide? You know, you must abide in the vine. Okay, Pastor John, awesome this week. Okay, I'm going to And it's so simple. Jesus said, this is how you abide in the vine. Abiding is you just remain within my love. He says, just, just remain in my love. Just live your Christian life in the consciousness of how much I love you and everything that I did because I love you by sending Jesus to die for you, cleansing your sin. So that's the consciousness of it. Jude says, keep yourself in the boundaries of his love. This is love that he first loved us. There's many scriptures. Is that okay? So if you know, he loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves me. If you know that, he loves me. Loves me. Nothing in all creation shall separate me from the love of God. That's how you abide in him. Just living in the consciousness of his love for you. And what that love did in purchasing your salvation. Woo, that's easier. How many of you can do that? Okay, that's how you abide. You abide. You live in, you revel in. You enjoy, you soak up that love. You live in the consciousness of that love all the time. You don't let anything separate you from that love. Not condemnation, not anything. Nothing separates you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? The second thing is, he says, you know, you abide in his word, his commandments, his teaching. In other words, his words, his teachings, his doctrines, the word has got priority in your life. You're doing all that you can to live your life submitted to that word. You let that word govern your words, your thoughts, your actions in as far as you're possible. Now, now how many of you know that's a progressive thing? I mean, not everybody knows the Bible as well as Andre. Okay. But the level of the word you know, how much you invest in that what you know, and how much that level of word you have taken onto yourself, that's the level. It's not... You know, the sheer amount of knowledge. No, no, no. It's, it's, do you live your life according to his word? Are you endeavoring to live your life? And he said, that's how you abide. And obviously, more word knowledge, the better. More consciousness of his love, the better. 
the more unshakable you become, the more knowledgeable, the more revelation you can operate in. But it doesn't change your relationship. You're a son. So you're abiding. You're abiding. You're remaining in him. You're abiding. So just look at the person next to you. Just help me. Help me. I don't want you to fall asleep. Say, you're abiding. You are abiding. You are remaining. You are remaining in his love and in his word. And so Jesus says, as a result of that, you're going to bring forth fruit. And what he will do every now and then, every now and then, what he will do, he will just prune you so you can produce more fruit. Now, how does Jesus prune you? How does God prune you? Well, what he does, he sends sickness and he gets you fired from work. And No. How does he prune you? He speaks to you. Amen? He speaks to you by his word. Maybe this morning he's doing some pruning. And you go, oh, I need to get into more prayer. Oh, wow, I need to realize afresh he loves me. Oh, my goodness. I need to have a, another fresh response to the word. He's pruning you with the word. Why? So that you can produce more fruit. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Now, that was good, eh? Awesome. And so he says that you can produce fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Now, the fruit is directly related to the subject of prayer, directly connected. Because everything that we do, the Bible says over and over again, everything we do, we do presenting prayer to God. So even our works flow out of prayer. Prayer is automatic, therefore our works are automatic before the Lord. So our purpose. The fourth thing. I don't want to confuse anybody here. I'm not trying to befuddle you with facts. But our prayer is always in the name of Jesus. Everybody say, in the name. Now, I want to explain that. What used to happen, very much so, and I remember it myself, and people would ask me, and I uh, struggled to answer, and, um, and especially when prayer is taught, they teach this thing, and they think the accuracy of the prayer formula is the magic wand. That gets your prayers answered. Now, now, how should we pray? And then the really good Bible teacher will say, you pray to the Father in the name of Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. Yep. Wow, that sounds really good. And then there's this magic formula. And then when your prayers aren't answered, you quickly go back and check that the formula was right. Now, did I pray in the name of Jesus? Now, I'm knocking it a little bit because I want to set some people free. And it's like, you know, what does Jesus mean? And listen, the name of Jesus, Pavel, I'm not detracting from the power of his name. I'm trying to teach what he was saying when he said, pray, ask in my name. Okay? What is he saying? By the authority of Jesus. Very interesting that a lot of people think that you know, in order for me to pray, I have to get the formula right. Now, what about if you're about to have an accident and you just go, Jesus, and he answered. Maybe, maybe you didn't even say that. Maybe it was just about to have an accident and you went, help. And he answered. And then when you prayed that to the Father in the name of Jesus by the help of us, but you didn't answer. How do you work all this stuff out? Hey, how do you work it out? How do you work it out that there have been times when I've cast out demons and I've said, in the name of Jesus, get out. And demons have left. There have been other times I've said, get out. And the demons have left. 
Pastor John, you didn't say in the name of Jesus. Well, I, I did actually. You just didn't hear it. When he talks about in my name, he's talking about by the authority of my name. And that is connected to everything that he did for us on the cross. In the sum totality of his works on the cross, if I understand what he did and who lives in me, I can say to somebody, be healed, and they're healed, because I'm speaking out of what he's done. It's out of his name, out of his nature, out of what he's accomplished. Are you good? Pastor John, show me one scripture. I'm so glad you asked, because I found it. Woohoo! So are you all ready? So have a look at John 14. In John chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus said, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So he was saying, as a result of, on account of, everything I have done. Okay, let me try and give you an example. Is this helping you? Let me give you an example. Jonathan, go down to the hardware store and go and get these plumbing parts so we can fix the tanks. Okay. So he goes down. In whose name is he going? When he walks in, he speaks to Almac. says, Almac, I need da-da-da. He says, no problem. Sign. Gives him the stuff and he goes without even paying. He's going in my name. On account of the fact that they know me there and I pay the bill. Does that help you? So when you pray, you're praying out of, as a result of, because of, he's got an account called the cross. That gives you authority because you know now, I am a son. Is that okay? So he said, if you ask anything, what? In my name. Oh, in his name. Pastor John, you see you were wrong. Well, just hang on a bit. John chapter 15. Verse 7. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's how we are abiding him. So we're all abiding. He says, you shall ask me what you will and it shall be done. He didn't say, in my name. He said, just ask me whatever you want. Jesus, I need this. Oh, you didn't say, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm mocking a little bit. Okay, I'm being a little bit naughty. But I just want you to understand, it's not a magic formula. It comes out of a revelation of what Christ did and who you are in Him. And if you walk in that authority and that consciousness, you can ask anything. And he will do it. Okay. Now, some people say, you don't pray to Jesus. Mm, you, know, you know, should we split hairs? You know, even when you were baptized, you were baptized into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, and into the name of the Holy Spirit. Is not the Father God? Is not Jesus God? Is not the Holy Spirit God? Holy Spirit, please will you come? Father, in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit. We can pray to Jesus. We can pray to the Father. We can pray to any of them because of the name, the authority, the cross. Okay? So don't get hung up on the formula. Get hooked on the revelation of who you are. And so the amazing thing is Jesus says this in John chapter 16. Let's have a look at John chapter 16. A couple of verses, and then he talks about the coming of the Spirit and things like that. Then he says, you know, I need to go because when I go, then the Comforter will come. And uh, 
When he comes, he's going to convict the world. He'll come to you, but he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Then he says in verse 13, when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. It's really amazing to me, but it seems to me that the Holy Spirit is always eavesdropping. I think he's hanging around the throne, and he hangs around the Father, and he's hanging around Jesus, and he's eavesdropping on their conversation, because whatever he hears, and he goes, oh, they're talking about that stuff for you. Then he comes and he whispers it into your heart. Isn't that awesome? And that's how he works even with prayer. And he says that whatever he hears, he will come and speak, and he will show you things to come, and shall glorify me. He will glorify Jesus, for he shall receive what is mine, and show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he will take of mine and shall show it to you. Right there is equality in the Godhead. Everything that's the Father's, on block, he moves over to the Son. The Son goes, okay, I need to get it to the other sons, my brothers. Everything that goes from, you know, the Son, on block, is given to the Spirit. Whoa! Everything in the Spirit is moved on block, Father, Son, Spirit, into the sons. Yeah. What power and authority do we have? It's no wonder Jesus said anything, anything, anything in my name, anything, anything. If you forget to mention the name of Jesus, it's okay. As long as you understand the revelation, you can ask me anything and I'll do it. Is that okay? So this week, God blessed me by somebody else's generosity because I just prayed. And I didn't say, Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, did I get that right? Did I, get I just said, oh, Jesus, why don't you just bless me with this because I want to do this for people. And it exactly happened. Yeah. Sometimes I just say, this is what I really need. I know who I'm praying to. I know who I am. He knows who I am. Oh, dear me. Okay. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. And um, so he says this, in a little while you won't see me, verse 16. He says, a little while you shall see me again. You know, talking about going away, coming back, and then going, then coming back in the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he continues for a while, and then he says this in verse 22. And now you therefore, you have sorrow, but verse 23 he says, and in that day, which day? The day of the Spirit, the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out. He says this, in that day you shall ask me, me, nothing. Verily, verily, it doesn't mean to say we can't pray to Jesus. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Again, again, what Jesus is talking about. In my Father's house, there's many mansions, or there's room for many, or there's place for many. I'm going there to prepare a place for you that where I am as a son fully in the Father, you might also be. And then I'm going to give you the Spirit, and then we'll all be one. Now he's saying, in that day, when you're asking in my name, this is what I mean. In that day, when you understand what I did on the cross, and you ask as a mature son and speak to the Father yourself the way I speak to him, God the Father will answer you this, the way he answers me. You are going to have a relationship with him because that's the place I prepared for you. You're going to have a relationship with him exactly like I have. Equal sons. Is that good? Come on. A lot of our prayers are not answered, not because we haven't got a magic formula of which name right. It's because we haven't prayed out of a revelation of who we are in him, in Christ. So now he says this, you will ask. 
And then he tells us and that your joy might be full. Everybody say joy. joy. There's a couple of things. There's two things that Jesus said are a result of all of this. Beside prayer, he says joy is a result. Peace is a result. You've got to hear me now, okay? Closing. When he said, peace I give unto you. Peace I live with you, John chapter 14. Peace, peace, peace. The peace he was talking about was, you understand that because of what I've done, if you're in relationship with me, if you're abiding with me, I'm in the Father, the Father's in you, we're in you, you're in us, Holy Spirit's in one. You're in union. The biggest thing that will come is peace. Not just any peace. Peace with God. The peace with God is this, that I'm right with God. The peace with God is there's no outstanding judgment. The peace with God is I'm reconciled to Him. The peace with God is my sin will never be punished. He took the price. The peace with God is I'm in right standing. That's directly connected to prayer because if your hearts don't condemn you, you get whatever you ask. So he says, peace. And it's like, God, I'm so right with you. I can't be more right with you. I'm as right with you as you are with yourself. I'm as right with you as Jesus is. I'm right with you. Wow. Oh, Lord, would you do this for me? He goes, asking as a son in his name. Whatever you ask. The other thing is, he says joy, that your joy might be full. Why does he say joy? Two reasons. Number one, because then you're operating to design specifications. You will only ever be fully fulfilled when you're living as a son. Anything short of that, you're not fulfilled. What is short of sonship? Servanthood. Slaves are not happy because they don't have the inheritance. They work for a salary. Sons are joyful. It's like my joys. He said, your joy we made complete, your joy we made full. The second reason is because of seeing the fruit, seeing the results, seeing things happen, knowing that you're a son of God. So a simple thing like, Father, I need this. Father, would you do that? Father, would you bless that person? Father, I'm asking in the wonderful name of Jesus, you heal this person. Yes, fruit. My joy is full. Because I'm doing the works of the Father. Because then he's getting glorified. The father's glorified in the sons. Sons reflect glory back because they act like him. They do what he does. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. I think it would be a good time right now, a good time right now, to stand there in confidence as sons. So maybe let's make a confession. Say, I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the Most High God. I'm as right with him as Jesus is. I'm right with God. I have peace with God. My joy is to see fruit. And he is glorified when there's fruit in my life. I'm moving to more fruit and to much fruit. As a son, I can ask for anything. In the context of the cross, in his name, by the authority of the name of Jesus. And Father, in your word, Jesus said, you will do it for me. So this morning, the natural response 
of this revelation is prayer. Now I want you to start praying.